Uh, if you have your Bibles open again in Romans 5, and <clears throat> we're going to read again these three verses that we are going to be thinking on tonight. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. I wonder if you were asked to nominate an event in history that was more decisive than any other, uh, what you would come up with whole lot of options there. Uh, the crossing of, of Julius Caesar across the river Rubicon, the first printing press, the invention of the internal combustion engine, the dropping of the atom bomb at the end of the Second World War, a whole lot of different things uh, people might say were decisive for the way that, that uh, civilization lived after that event. But far more significant than any of these events is the one that we're pondering this evening, and that was Adam's sin, our first parent's sin. That was much more significant because uh, it had life-changing implications for the whole of humanity. Uh, it brought death into the world. It, it uh, forces us to, to reckon with this this. Uh, circumstance that, that mankind so often likes to, to deny or, or hide from. And the remarkable fact is that this decisive event for humanity is associated with the, the, the man Adam, about which we know relatively little, who is given such a, a, a minor, a small part in the, the Bible uh, as a whole. And yet the impact of his dreadful decision to rebel against the command uh, has had an influence across the millennia. Why is Adam so important? Because there's so much about the human condition that can't be explained without reference to Adam. Why is it that people everywhere uh, from all cultures do bad things, even when there's every encouragement in their culture to do good things? Why is it people always end up, from the youngest to the oldest, doing bad things? Why is there death? Why should death be uh, a given? Why do everybody, does everybody not simply live on? These are huge questions, and the materialistic answers to these questions are deeply unsatisfying as we'll see later on when we press them. Now, if you come to the passage thinking tonight, well, uh, this is all rather difficult, it's a complicated-looking verse, and doesn't really have an awful lot of application, then uh, you couldn't be further uh, removed from the truth. This is vitally relevant. Uh, Adam's story is my story, is your story. And it's connected with what has gone before, although some commentators claim that uh, the connection is not obvious. It connects uh, clearly by the word therefore, which links 
And he, Paul is therefore pointing to what he has said before. Paul has been talking about a reconciliation that we have through Christ. Verse 11. Uh, he's been speaking about how the reconciliation, uh, this fact that we were once estranged, we were enmity, at enmity with God, and now we've been brought into friendship with God. And it has been brought about by justification, by one man bearing our sin and one man uh, giving us his righteousness. The one has blessed the many. And the section that follows uh, shows us why this victory by our representative is necessary. It's necessary because of the defeat of uh, one who was our representative. Jesus has obtained for us a reconciliation that overcomes what was undone in Adam. So we're going to think together of, uh, first of all, the fact that Adam is a representative, and then how Adam's sin uh, is my sin. And thirdly, this matter of the reign of death. And then, fourthly, what's said here about Adam being a pattern of the one who was to come. Adam is our representative. And it's impossible to understand the Bible without really coming to terms with the fact that the idea of being in solidarity is hugely important in the Bible. It's a striking fact that in verses uh, 12 to 19, the word one is mentioned uh, 12 times. The, the one uh, did this, and the implications were that. Uh, this is a passage which is really uh, full of the notion of uh, a representative figure. The one, person's, the one person whose actions affected the many. Therefore, just as uh, sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. The idea is that Adam is what we call a, a federal head. He was a covenant head. When he was on probation in Eden, when he was put under test, when he was given a command to obey with blessings for, obeyment, for obeying and uh, judgment on disobedience, he wasn't there simply in his own capacity, in a private capacity. He was there representing all his posterity. God made a covenant with him. We call it a covenant of works. Although the word covenant isn't mentioned, it is there in all its elements. And so the stakes were huge. It wasn't just Adam's uh, future that was at stake. It was the whole of humanity. All who would live after him. Now, we're clear uh, through some of the, the the, the stories in the Bible, including one of the best-known ones, the story of David and Goliath, of how this principle of solidarity works. Uh, you know, the, the, the armies of Israel and the Philistines are, are facing one another, and the arrangement is that one representative will go into combat, and he will sum up the, the whole army. And so, uh, should Goliath prevail over Israel, Israel's champion, then the Philistines will be victorious. And if, uh, as it turns out, David prevails over Goliath, then Israel will be victorious. The principle of the, the representative head. 
And there's other uh, examples as well. There's a, a nice one from our own history, from the Battle of Bannockburn. Uh, you know the story, the, the, the armies of Scotland and England facing up uh, at the, the burn of, of, of Bannock near Stirling. Uh, huge stakes, the, the, the Stirling Castle having to be relieved uh, by Midsummer's uh, Day, 1314, uh, or else Scotland uh, remains under uh, English rule. Uh, the army of Bruce uh, gathered in a strategic spot above, among the, above the marshes, uh, ultimately, as we know, won the victory. But there was a point at which the outcome depended upon two, as it were, representative heads. Because there was that point uh, when uh, the Bruce was seen by one of the English knights, Sir Henry de Boon. Uh, he lowers his lance, he rides his horse uh, headlong at Bruce, and Bruce, who was riding a, a little pony, sidesteps and with his axe crashes down on the boon helmet and slips his head open and he falls to the ground. And there's great relief amongst the generals who were not uh, terribly taken with the idea that Bruce had taken this risk. It said that, they said to him, Bethink you, sire, the fate of all Scotland rests upon you. And Bruce has said to him, said, uh, Only my poor axe, I have broken my best axe. Now, what would have happened had he been slain? Uh, would the Scottish army have simply uh, retreated and regrouped to fight another day? In all likelihood, no, because he was uh, the only uh, recognised claimant to the throne. Uh, his loss, his death, would have resulted in the, the overhaul of the Scottish cause. It would have been the end of the, the War of Independence. He was uh, a, a federal head, if you like. He was a representative head for the nation. Uh, the, the battle had a huge significance, this one-on-one -on -one combat. Now, we struggle uh, today with the idea of solidarity. Uh, we're very individualistic. Uh, but in order to understand uh, the implications of Adam's sin, we need to re-enter, as it were, the biblical world and see how uh, this is a, a, a common uh, concept that the one individual, uh, the father, for example, the father figure, will represent the family. The leader will represent the tribe. The king will represent the nation. How does Adam's sin affect me? Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So the implication is clear. It should be Adam sinned and so he incurred the penalty of death but because he was a representative for every member of the human race who'd come after him not only Adam but all humans who have descended from him are counted guilty. And the consequence of that guilt is that all die. This is the doctrine of original sin, or at least part of it. 
that we share in Adam's original guilt. And as a result of the fact that we share in Adam's original guilt, the consequences of that guilt, the penalty of that guilt, which is death, falls on us also. Now, in addition, we have a corrupt nature from which flow every sinful act. But we're thinking uh, in these verses of Adam's guilt and the penalty of death. Now, as you know, people don't like this doctrine. They don't like original sin. And uh, many people have tried to uh, do all they can to explain it in, in other ways. And one likely avenue would seem to be before us in this very verse. Because at the end of verse 12 it says, So death spread to all men because all sinned. And some want to say, well, uh, we have death because uh, each and every one of us sins. In other words, death is the consequence of our own action. We're bearing the load of our own disobedience. And commentators like John Murray acknowledge that that, if this was the only verse we had, that would be a legitimate uh, interpretation of that verse. It could bear uh, that interpretation. But that would result in a completely wrong understanding of all that Paul is saying in the passage. He's not saying that we die because each one of us has sinned. That's going against the whole thrust of the passage. He's saying we die because somebody else sinned. We die, we bear the penalty of a sin that took place before we were even born. And uh, one of the reasons why this is so is that uh, he's setting up here we said at the beginning, he's setting up a parallel with what's gone before. What went before was justification. Justification was all about us sharing the benefit of one who was righteous. The, the righteous one has delivered us from sin and has clothed us in righteousness. And the reason? Because there was one who sinned and who has imputed to us his sin and guilt. If we, just to, to turn it on its head, if we started life guiltless, as the, the other school of, of interpretation would say, if we started life guiltless until our sinful acts gave us uh, a guilty status, then the parallel uh, would be that we're not justified until we have worked for our justification. That's exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying. But Paul, in fact, goes on to, to make his point by pointing to the fact that death itself is uh, an evidence of uh, it being the guilt of Adam. And here's how his argument goes. Uh, the argument uh, that we have in verses 13 and 14 of, of chapter 5. Before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam. So Paul's saying, Adam sinned because he broke a direct commandment that was given to him. God gave Adam a direct commandment. He said, you shall not eat the fruit of of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in the day you eat, you shall surely die. 
And because he sinned, by breaking this explicit commandment, Adam, who was meant to be immortal, died. Now, there was no actual law in, in the sense of there being a command, set of commandments given between the, the time of Adam and Moses when the command, commandments were given. And yet, as we know, there was undoubtedly sin in the world. People did wrong things. But because there was no law, because there was no uh, transcript of God's will, there could be no transgression in, in that narrow sense of having broken uh, a revealed law, in the sense that Adam had transgressed when he broke an explicit command from God. And so, the argument goes, while people living between Adam and Moses sinned, they didn't sin in the way that Adam sinned by going against a clear instruction that God had given. And because of that difference, Paul says, sin was not counted against them. Despite that fact, despite the fact that people are, are not sinning in this sense, they still paid the price of sin, i.e. they died. How come? Because they shared the guilt of Adam, who was their covenantal representative. When he sinned, they sinned. Now, the same principle uh, applies in another way to, to, to babies who die in infancy or, or to the, the mentally handicapped who, who aren't able to, to think through issues. Uh, they are, in that sense, uh, not guilty of transgression. And yet, they, like us, share in Adam's guilt and therefore they die. Death is the, the judgment upon sin. Now, that, of course, as you can understand, in this day of, of uh, uh, very strong individualism, uh, gets people's hackles up. And we'll make a response to, to that uh, objection. But for the moment, think of what that implies practically. My problem is much, much deeper than I thought it was. My problem is much more embedded than, it, than I thought it was. It is not just my guilty actions that make me guilty before God. They do, of course. But fundamentally, I'm guilty because I share in Adam's guilt. And I'm a sinner not because I sin. I'm a sinner. I sin rather because I am a sinner. I've been constituted a sinner in Adam. My problem, and we'll return to this at the end, my problem is that I am in Adam. And until an act of God takes me out of Adam and into a Redeemer, then I am under the judgment of God. I have a guilty status and a sinful nature that results in sinful actions. Now, of course, the reason that people object uh, to the doctrine of original sin is they claim it's unfair that I am guilty for something that someone else did. And 
On the surface, that seems a pretty solid objection to, to what Paul is saying there. Why should I be counted guilty for what somebody else did? Uh, well, that, of course, is betraying this strongly Western uh, individualism. And in this, 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 uh, this culture where we're supposed to be so embracing of all views and cultures, that betrays the fact, doesn't it, that we're not really so open to the, the cultural viewpoints of other peoples, because this was something which uh, the ancient Eastern peoples uh, were very amenable to. They, they, they got this in a way that people in the secular West don't get. It. And yet, there are times when it arises. It's interesting, isn't it, that in the context of the Olympics, how uh, there's there's so many who want the, the entire Russian team to be uh, eliminated because significant representatives sinned. And so they want the rest, whether or not they were guilty, to be uh, eliminated. Think of another angle. Is God being fair in having uh, my guilt assessed through a representative? Would it have been fairer uh, towards me, if, if I, or towards you, if, if we could have stood ourselves instead of Adam. Think of it this way. God was being immeasurably fair to us in providing one with all of the advantages that Adam had. My nature means that uh, it is the natural thing, if you like, to, to go against God's will. Adam uh, is created with uh, a moral nature which was uh, made it possible for him uh, to not sin, to say no to temptation. He was created without any impulse towards doing wrong, which we have. Uh, he lived in a perfect environment. He knew the blessedness of walking in communion with God. He knew that that would be forfeited if he disobeyed. Doubtless, Adam had been told that uh, he was there not only on his own behalf, but also as a representative of his posterity, that, that there were huge issues hanging on his obedience. Can you see how everything seems to be stacked up on the side of Adam obeying? That it is an outrageous, it's, it's something which is perplexing that he should choose to disobey. But the point is that were we given a choice of, of Adam being our representative or we ourselves going on probation, if we had any sense at all, we would have said, Lord, let him be the representative. Then Paul speaks of the fact of the reign of death because of the sin of our representative. Death entered the world not only for Adam but for every individual after him. And it's a powerful image, isn't it? Paul says death reigns. He is, he's personifying death. He's saying death is like a, a ruler whose word uh, cannot be resisted. He cannot be challenged. He has decreed that all people will one day die. And it's so true, isn't it? A day will come for every member of the human race when uh, they, the heart will no longer beat, 
when the lungs will no longer expand, when their flesh will grow pale. And Paul says, King Death reigns, and his reign is not to be challenged. No matter how long we live, death will come to us. You know the saying, there's nothing so sure in this life as death and taxes. And go to a, a chapter like Genesis 5, where we have this uh, list of these people who live for incredibly long times. And it's almost as though this is a, a, a literary description of the reign of death. <clears throat> Adam lived 930 years and then he died. Altogether, Seth lived 921 years and then he died. Altogether, Enosh lived 905 years and then he died. Altogether, Canaan lived 910 years and then he died. And so on, relentlessly. The, the, the reign of death, right up to that, that great old guy, Methuselah. Altogether, uh, Methuselah lived 969 years and then he died. Death reigned. Each one of these men of incredible longevity falling like so much corn before the, the scythe of the grim reaper. But why is death so certain? Why is death so certain? The atheist uh, mocks, laughs at this connection between sin and death. He argues that uh, death and sin can all be explained in non-moral, in materialistic uh, terms. Sin is, uh, at least the kind of sin that uh, harms others, is a mere imperfection. And because we're all evolving and becoming better, then that imperfection is being eliminated as man evolves into more enlightened human beings. It seems to, to uh, be con contradicted by the evidence. And death is simply the natural outcome of all organic life forms. That's the alternative to the biblical record. But that alternative is deeply unsatisfactory. Those who want to get rid of the idea of God as a creator and yet account for the world that we have it in all its complexity, they end up uh, in one guise or another positing some kind of eternal matter. It seems strange that uh, we should evolve from what was eternal to what is very finite. And there is also the fact that right through history there has been in all cultures this, this sense of there being something beyond the grave and a yearning within the heart for a place where uh, one will never die, whatever that place is called. Whether it's Mount Olympus or Valhalla, Hades, or whatever. If death was such a, a brute fact, if it was such an obvious fact, well, it's unlikely that there would be that, that universal yearning, consciousness of, of a life to come where life will not be interrupted by death. 
one of the symptoms of, of any civilization that's abandoned its Christian roots is that instead of acknowledging death, and instead of, of looking to the gospel for a message which overcomes death, people begin to live in denial of death. And people cope by treating death in ways which are often childish and superficial because they want to evade death. Well, a local man uh, recently had a Star Wars-themed funeral. The undertakers dressed up as Star Wars characters. And people were encouraged to come with Star Wars t-shirts because he had been a fan of the Star Wars uh, movie franchise. And the director uh, of the, the, the funeral uh, firm said, a funeral service should always focus on the person who has passed while considering the wishes of those close to them who are left to make funeral arrangements. Well, it may be that in our day that that is the case, but in better days, in days when, when people uh, acknowledged the Bible, and when they had even some tenuous <coughs> understanding of the Christian faith, a funeral was a place where people acknowledged the brevity of life, the certainty of judgment, and when they looked to the, the gospel for comfort at a time of death. It was a time of, of reverence and for seeking God's comfort through the hope of eternal life. And the focus was not on the one who had departed, but the focus was upon God and the promises of God. How far we have moved from that perspective. The reign of death. The focus in Christ's work comes later on in chapter 5, but it's flagged up at the end of our section, at the end of verse 14, where it said that Adam, who was a pattern for the one to come, the one to come, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, great conqueror of death. And Paul's saying, and he's going to unpack this, that Adam uh, uh, was a pattern for the one to come. There are similarities in uh, what they, they, they did. How is Christ, uh, and uh, how are Christ and Adam uh, patterned? Well, Adam, we saw, was our, our federal head, our covenant head, or our representative. He was on probation, not only for himself, but on behalf of all of us. When Adam sinned, we shared in his guilt. And Christ has also been appointed a representative. All that he did uh, in his obedience, uh, all that he did in his suffering on, on the cross, he went through these things, not uh, for his own sake, but as a representative of his people. And so Adam and Christ are covenantal heads. Their actions have huge significance, not only for themselves, but for those who are bound to them in covenant. And the point Paul is making in, in these verses is not that all have sinned. All people do sin, of course. The point that he's making is that Adam stood for them. So that when Adam sinned, not only was he judged 
but they were judged too. Adam's sin is imputed to us in the way that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. We are united with Adam. And so, as we said earlier, our trouble is much, much uh, deeper, much more serious, much more embedded than we sometimes think. Our guilt is bound up with the whole malfunction of the world and the reign of death, and therefore it's going to take something uh, deeper still to lift us up from that embedded guilt and from the condemnation of sin. It's going to take nothing less than being united to another representative head. It's going to take nothing less than being united by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're reminded again uh, that it's not isolated blessings that we need. It's not a feeling of peace. It's not an experience of power. It's not even an advance in holiness that you need. But you need Jesus. You need to be united by faith into Jesus. It's the biblical pattern, the biblical direction of movement. Faith brings us into Christ. Calvin spoke of Christ clothed in the gospel. In Christ we have all that we need. And nothing less than being brought out of Adam, our old head, and into Christ will save us. Our problem is much worse than we thought much more deeply rooted than we thought. And the solution is greater far. This is the gospel. We are guilty in Adam, but Christ is greater by far. And trusting in his finished work lifts us out of our guilt and shame and into Jesus, the Redeemer. Search our hearts afresh and be sure, be certain. Christ, he is my representative. Christ is the one uh, whose righteousness now clothes me. My identity is no longer in Adam the sinner. My identity is in Christ the victor. Father, we bless you for the gospel. We thank you that when sin had gone deep, grace went deeper still. We thank you for one who was sent on our behalf, uh, who did not fall as Adam fell when he was tempted in the wilderness. We thank you for one who went as a covenant head to the cross of Calvary. And we thank you that by faith we are united into him in every phase of his existence. We thank you that uh, we are with him in his death, and we are with him in his resurrection. By faith we are with him as he is even out in the heavenly realms. We bless you, O Lord, for such a great salvation. We pray that you would fire us up, Lord, with uh, a true regard of compassion for those around us who are yet only in Adam and therefore in their sin. We pray you would bless the gospel that proclaims true hope and true victory through Jesus. In his name we pray.